Yes, we're reading this morning from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, and this is found on page 1062 in the Pew Bibles, John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The most humbling and enlightening thing that can actually happen to our life is when we come to the realisation that we are all dependent beings. Now, it usually happens when you've had the opportunity to work for a terrible boss. You soon realize that your day-to-day working conditions and your health is all affected and dictated by this micromanaging, this socially awkward, this arrogant, this self-serving, this people-using boss. But if we lift our eyes beyond our own personal experiences and see ourselves as a community, see ourselves as a nation we also soon come to realise that a lot of our living conditions is dictated by our civil leaders. I mean, if you just look at throughout history, we've seen national leaders like Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, all promising utopia, but delivering absolute terror to his people. I mean, lurkly, We just have to see our own government making election promises to commit to things like educational funding to only then backflip 
as soon as they've been elected into office. See, it's really humbling to come to realize that we cannot completely govern and control our own lives. So much of our lives is so dependent upon our leaders. But it's also a good thing. Although it's humbling, it's also enlightening. Because you begin to realize that our whole lives is entrusting ourselves to serve a leader, to follow a master that defines and governs our life. So the question then is, who, which master will you trust and follow? Who will be trustworthy and really deliver on the, upon their promises? Who will generally care and protect you? See, the Bible uses the image of a shepherd, and God uses the shepherd to describe leaders, rulers, and protectors over God's own people. And so God described himself as a shepherd of his people in Psalm 23. If you look on the screen, um, I'll read to you the first four verses. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. See, God speaks so powerfully into our greatest need and our desire for someone to be our comfort, to be our protector. God himself is a shepherd leader who attends to the needs of his people and God providentially cares for his people, leads them into paths of righteousness and protects them from evil and ultimately from death itself. Now, how God does this is he actually appoints other shepherds. God appoints human shepherds who are judges and kings that lead, rule and judge his people. However, as we read throughout the history of Israel in the entire Old Testament, Israel's leaders end up being corrupted. They failed to shepherd Israel righteously the way God wanted to, and they're just wicked shepherds. And so we read in Ezekiel 34, up on the the screen, it says, God condemns the shepherds of Israel. Oh, I need to do that. (laughs) Sorry. There we go. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel, who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherd take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not backed the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My shepherd wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched and looked for them. God angrily condemns the shepherd of Israel for exploiting his people, using them for their own gain and pleasure instead of caring for them. As a result, Israel is scattered, and they are lost. They have no direction, and they wander into the destruction, into the Babylons. 
But God then takes matters into his own hands and replaces the wicked shepherds and says that he will shepherd his sheep. He will care for his leader in all the ways that their leaders did not. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. God will shepherd his people. God will shepherd them through a promised human leader, a son of David, to be the shepherd of Israel. It says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them, he will tend to them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be his prince among them. Both God and David are seen to be the true shepherd. He, David, is referring to a son of David, a descendant of David. God will shepherd his, through, his people through a true shepherd, a, one who will be descendant of David, who will do what finally God does, that is, shepherd his people, as we read in Psalm 23. So this is all the biblical background. To understand who Jesus is, when we read in John 10, and he pronounces himself to be, I am the good shepherd. And see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised shepherd of God. He is the, the son of David to call and regather God's scattered people and lead them once again to pass of righteousness and eternal life. But the interesting and amazing thing as we read in John 10 is that not only does he reveal himself further to be the good shepherd, he actually tells us how personally and in intimate ways he relates to his sheep. So if you can have your Bibles open to John 10 uh, from verse 1. So the first thing we see is that Jesus knows and leads the sheep to himself. In verses 1 to 10, we read that the proper way to enter the sheep pen is only through the gate. Now Jesus, the true shepherd, is the only one that can lead the sheep through the gate because Jesus is the only man whom the watchman opens the gate for. Jesus knows each of the sheep personally because he calls out each of them, each of his sheep, name them individually one by one. Now, this is actually quite a remarkable image of the kind of shepherd Jesus is. See, Jesus doesn't just call out generally and say, hey, sheep, come follow me. Rather, Jesus calls out, hey, Wooly, hey, Bluey, hey, Snowy, hey, Joey, hey, Sean, come follow me. See, Jesus knows his sheep personally and intimately. Now, the sheep that recognises Jesus' personal call follow Jesus to be led through the gate. Now, this is where Jesus breaks the shepherd metaphor by saying, quite shockingly, in verse 9, that he is also the gate. It says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, this is Jesus' own way of saying that he is the only way to salvation, the only way to find pasture, the only way to receive life and have it to the full. 
So Jesus calls his sheep and leads them to himself. Because in himself, that's where we can find life to the full. And life to the full is this. It's a life in an intimate, personal relationship with God, knowing that he cares for you, nurtures for you, and protects you in this life and in the next life to come after death. See, life to the full is not life full of wealth or success and pleasure. And although those things can be quite fulfilling in life, but those things come and go. Life to the full is life knowing God and being known by God where he loves and cares for us intimately. And so in these first 10 verses, Jesus is explaining two truths. Number one, the first truth is we are sheep. Jesus calls us sheep to show that we, like sheep, are spiritually lost. We're spiritually dependent beings. See, the essence of sheepiness is that we do not have the capacity to lead ourselves to find God by ourselves. We cannot have the capacity to walk in paths of righteousness and to find salvation and to find eternal life. And because Jesus knows you personally, he even sees your own personal sheepiness. You see, he knows all the dumb things that you and I have done. And he sees beneath all the bravado, all the self-confidence, and he sees all your acts of unrighteousness. And he really sees how just insecure and dependent you really are. Jesus knows you, and he knows that you and I require some shepherd, some master to guide us. And this is the second truth. Jesus says that he is the only shepherd, the only true guide, the only true master that can lead us to find God. Jesus alone is the only means and true guide to receive salvation. And anyone who claims to bring you to God apart from Jesus will lead you to danger. These are false shepherds. Jesus calls these false shepherds thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers always sneak in the back way, don't they? They never ever knock on your front door. They come with self-motives and with brutal tactics to ravage the sheep. And so the main point that Jesus is making is that those who enter the gate, receive Jesus and life to the full, are those who hear Jesus' voice, ignore all others, and trust and follow him. Jesus is the one true shepherd. The second thing that Jesus shows to us how intimately he relates to the sheep is quite shocking, is that he dies for his sheep. The reason why Jesus can claim to himself to be the good shepherd is in verse 11, if you look there. He says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this is where Jesus again breaks the shepherd metaphor. See, Jesus goes above and beyond the typical role of a shepherd to even lay down his own life for them. So the question, why would he do such a thing? I mean, they're just sheep. The reason is found in verse 12. It's this, it's that the shepherd owns the sheep. And he compares this to the hired hand. See, the hired hand, they have no ownership of the sheep. And when the wolves come, when danger comes, they are only interested in their own skin and abandon the sheep. They run for 
their lives and they care nothing for the sheep. So at the moment, we've been renting in Ashfield. And on our street, we've been there for a few months. And Amy and I have actually figured out those who rent and those who own their own place. See, those who own their own place, their lawns are overgrown. We notice that the paint is chipping. The gutters are filled with leaves. And some rental properties, even on our street, even have graffiti on the front and side fence. Do you think they care? No, they don't. They don't bother to clean it. They don't bother to fix it. They just tolerate with this mess because they don't own it. But the people who own their house, wow, their property amazing. They take care of their property. Their lawns are manicured. The paint is restored to the original heritage colors. They fix the damage and they even go above and beyond and renovate it. See, the difference between when you borrow something or rent something as to where you own something, you value it more. You are more committed to it and you put into great lengths to take care of the things you personally own. And see, this is the amazing thing in light of what Jesus has already said. Jesus knows his sheep. He knows them to the bottom. And yet he will be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Because we, as much as we are so sheepish, are at the same time so valuable to him. And he is committed to us, even in our lostness, even in our disobedience to him. See, the truth is, in our disobedience to God, we deserve to be sheep led, not to green pastures, but probably to the abattoirs, to be punished from our sins and face death. But Jesus, the shepherd, humbled himself to be the sacrificial lamb, to take our place, to take our death, our punishment, so that we may be reconciled and made right with God. And this is why Jesus is the gate. He's the only way to God because Jesus is the only shepherd, the only spiritual leader. If you compare to all of them, he's the only one that would die for us to take our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. And see, this is the gospel message. This is the message as as to why we celebrate Christmas. It's because whilst we are sheep, sinners deserving punishment, we are also treasures to God. We are loved by God to the point that he would die for us so that we might have a full life in relationship with God. And see, this should melt our hearts when we hear this. That Jesus would know us, he would love us, and he would value us and go to the extremes of laying his life for us. And so Jesus is the good shepherd for you and I. Therefore, Jesus is calling you to follow him as him as your good shepherd. Jesus isn't just calling only the people of Israel, but the people from all nations. We read in verse 16, if you go there, I have other sheep, is referring to the Gentiles, the other nations. They are not of this sheep pen, Israel. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is now calling all of us from all nations to be his sheep and follow him as our shepherd. What it looks like for Jesus to be our shepherd looks like this. 
It's to know Jesus and be known by Jesus just as the Father knows Jesus and Jesus knows the Father. We actually read that in verse 14 to 15. So in other words, it's for us to be known by Jesus and to know him in a way that is in a mutual, personal, loving relationship just as the loving relationship that Jesus has with his Father. It is in this personal mutual love relationship that Jesus has with his Father that he obeys the Father's command to willingly lay down his life for us. So what Jesus is trying to say is in the same way with our relationship with Jesus, it is in his love, in laying down his life for us, and as we respond in his love, we also trust and obey and follow him. So let me explain. The same thing happens when this dynamic of obedience to commands that comes from a loving relationship. And you can see it between parents and children, can't we? See, children don't just obey house rules purely for the rules themselves. They obey house rules because the object of their obedience is to their parents. And so obedience is an act of love to the parents who already love them. See, it's not because of our obedience to God that God would then love us. It's because of God's love in Jesus' death for us whilst we were still sinners, our hearts are melted and we are moved to respond, to receive that free grace and to obey God as our act of love and worship to God. And so therefore, Jesus is not calling us to just obey the rules in his book. Jesus is calling you and I to have a personal and saving relationship with him. A relationship with Jesus means that he will lead you to a life of obedience to God with complete assurance that God already loves you. This is a free invitation. And all you have to do is hear his voice and follow him. So what does this practically look like? What does it look like to actually hear his voice? Well, firstly, it's being willing to admit that you are sheep. You are spiritually dependent and in need of a shepherd. And second, it's knowing that you are also valuable to Jesus. And having your heart melted by the fact that he would die for you because you are his treasure, even in our disobedience, that by trusting his death, as the only way to salvation. His death, our life. And if you believe these two things, you have heard the voice of Jesus. So go and follow him. Next question. As followers, what does it practically look like to follow him? Number one, it means to follow Jesus comprehensively. Jesus is calling us to complete lordship. As sheep, we are to entrust all of our lives to his rule, to his care, to his provision. See, usually people come to Jesus wanting to rearrange and fix one area of our life, but we want to keep the rest away from him. For example, we may come to Jesus when our relationships are totally messed up. We ask Jesus, help, sort out our marriage, sort out our kids. But I don't want you, Jesus, to mess around with my career or my finances. Hear the word of the Lord. We are sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. He calls all areas of our life to follow and trust him 
and trust that he knows what's best for us. Number two, follow Jesus unconditionally. Jesus is calling you to follow him even when it's difficult, even when it feels unpractical, even when it's inconvenient. Again, kids, career or other things in life might be your current priority. And to follow Jesus is just a hassle. I can't even squeeze him in in an already busy schedule. Or you just might be in a very difficult place. Things are broken. Things might be stressful. And you just can't see how can you ever possibly trust God will do anything about that scenario. We are sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. He calls us to follow him in every situation. To trust that seeking first the kingdom of God is of greatest priority. And that God knows your situation. And he will providentially care and get you through every single single situation. Number three, and most importantly of all, follow Jesus personally. Jesus, as your shepherd, wants personal communion with you. He doesn't just want you to just follow the rules, just come up to church and just fill out the rosters. He wants a personal relationship with you. Like, we go back to Psalm 23. The first line doesn't say, the Lord is the shepherd. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. See, Christian life is foremost about a real and personal relationship with God. What does a personal relationship look like? Well, a personal relationship means that, obviously, you talk regularly with each other, don't you? It means regularly listening to God through the study and meditation of his word and talking to him in prayer. But the thing is, a really, really good relationship goes even deeper. They go deep with one another. It's understanding each other at a deeper and honest and genuine level. It's just not superficial talk. And so we need to understand and feel God's love and experience his truth in the depths of our lives as we honestly and genuinely open up to him and repent and confess of all of our sins. This is what it means to hear his voice and follow him. The passage leaves us with this question. Who are the sheep? Jesus knows his sheep by name. He's calling, Mike, you are mine. He's saying, Tracy, I know you by name. He's saying, Luke, I died for you. He's saying, Joan, I love you. Jesus knows us to the bottom. But he loves us to the skies. His death, our life. 